0: Chapter 4 of A History of California, the Spanish Period. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 The Japanese Opportunity in the Pacific in the Early Modern Period. If the Chinese had something of an opportunity in ancient times to acquire a foothold in California and along the Pacific coast, the Japanese had a still better opening, all things considered, in the early 17th century. Japan was at that time relatively as powerful with respect to the rest of the world as she is today and would have had very little opposition in encompassing any designs for an extension of her commercial and political influence. Spain alone stood in the way from the side of the Americas and Spain was already a declining power with more enemies in Europe than she was able to cope with. Furthermore, under the great shogun Ayeyasu, Japan looked clearly toward the east and made persistent, though fruitless, endeavors to follow a policy of peaceful penetration in Mexico through the medium of trade. Those who today believe they descry a yellow peril might indeed have had occasion for alarm had they lived three centuries ago. Fortunately for the future of the United States, however, A strange chance intervened to turn Japan aside from her projects and to close the door of opportunity for more than 200 years. By that time, the United States had come into the most important part of her heritage along the Pacific, and the danger was reduced to less discernible proportions. From the standpoint of chronology, the Spaniards come next after the Chinese, but it seemed best to deal here, once and for all, with a Japanese opportunity. The early history of Japan is a maze of mythical obscurity, and it was not until the 5th century that the records which have come down to us can be termed authentic. The middle of the 6th century, however, is a better point of departure in the history of Japan, for it was then in 552 that Buddhism was introduced, and with it an advance in culture which brought Japan, for the first time, to the plane of what we call civilization. Little need be said here of the next thousand years of Japanese history. It was at the close of the twelfth century that the shogunate was established, to endure for nearly seven centuries. This institution was of the same character as that of the mayors of the palace in early French history, Whereby the monarchs were reduced to the position of mere roi fainant, or do nothing kings, with only nominal sovereignty. The Japanese shoguns had the function of providing for the defense and tranquility of the empire, and were given the entire military resources of the state in order to achieve these ends. Thus, the emperors tended more and more to withdraw from active political life and to be looked upon as gods. Meanwhile, feudalism in all its evils with military lords more or less dominant on their own estates was the keynote of national life civil war was almost incessant it is particularly to be noted that the period from thirteen thirty three to sixteen o three was one of constant strife during this medieval era of japan too the buddhist priesthood became enormously wealthy and powerful And got wholly out of sympathy with the mass of the people japan was still in a chaotic state when trade relations with the european people were established for the first time this was with the portuguese who visited japan in 1542 after which date their ships regularly appeared at japanese ports introducing among other things firearms and a knowledge of how to use them in 1549 the great jesuit missionary st francis xavier came in a portuguese ship to plant the first seeds of the christian faith in that country he could not have arrived at a more propitious time for the people were in a spirit of revolt against buddhism other jesuits followed in a few years the number of their converts reached the hundreds of thousands attention may here be called to other events tending to produce an awakening of Japan to the greatness of her opportunity in the Pacific. In 1565, the Spaniards had made a beginning of the conquest of the Philippines, and a few years later established themselves at Manila, whence a ship sailed each year past Japan and on to Acapulco and Mexico. In 1580, Philip II of Spain became king of Portugal. Although he agreed to keep the dominions of the two crowns separate, this brought the portuguese east indies and portuguese activities in japan under a measure of spanish control meanwhile the dutch had broken away from the government of philip II and chose to direct their attacks primarily against his portuguese dominions in sixteen hundred a dutch ship appeared in japan on this boat as pilot was a certain will adams probably the first englishman to set foot in japan Many tales are told about this man. He became a favorite of the shogun and was heaped with wealth, honors, and wives, though by his own account he was a virtual prisoner in the island kingdom and longed to return to his family in Europe. This romance loses some of its flavor when we learn that Will Adams was, on one occasion, sent to the Philippines and returned to his Japanese wives. Nevertheless, he was an important figure, To the Japanese, he was able to teach something of the arts of navigation and shipbuilding. To his Dutch friends, he was a useful helper, being in part responsible for the grant to them of trading privileges, as a result of which Dutch ships came regularly to Japan from 1609 onward. It may be mentioned, too, that English ships engaged in commerce with Japan from 1613 to 1623. At the opening of the 17th century, the Japanese were indeed a people to reckon with in the affairs of the Pacific. In social organization and material achievements, they were not far behind the Europe of their day. For example, they had schools with courses in ethics, law, history, and mathematics, and were in the habit of accumulating libraries. Feudalism still existed, but it had only recently been stamped out in Europe. They knew how to use ordinary firearms and cannon and were capable of warfare on a large scale. Indeed, the Japanese were distinctly a military people. Under the great shogun Hideyoshi, from 1582 to 1598, later called the Napoleon of Japan, an army of nearly 200,000 made an invasion of Korea, while many thousand more were held in the islands in reserve. Many other large armies were utilized in this period for campaigns in Japan. The ability to handle these large forces must needs have been great. Furthermore, the Japanese were a race of sailors. Fishing has always been one of the leading industries of the Japanese people. They were also engaging in trade with lands as far away as India and had established colonies in Luzon, Cochinchina, Cambodia, and Siam. Against this powerful people... Spain could oppose little more than a corporal's guard of fighting men. The total Spanish population of the Philippines was only a few hundred, and the soldiers of the entire empire of Spain and America did not number far into the thousands, not more than enough to combat the hostile Indians along the borders. Following the route of the current across the North Pacific, It should not have been difficult for the Japanese to establish advancing bases along the islands and mainland coasts until they reached California. Incidentally, all Australasia and Oceania presented to them a wide-open opportunity. It becomes pertinent, then, to trace the workings of two opposite factors, that which urged the Japanese on in their attitude favoring trans-Pacific relations, and that which induced them to give up this idea and to shut themselves in in their island empire away from communication with the outside world hideyoshi was an imperialist and though he turned his attention more particularly toward korea he did not neglect to consider the possibilities of japanese expansion to european possessions in the pacific in fifteen ninety two he sent an embassy to the philippines to demand the subjection of those islands to his rule. Nothing came of this, and it was not until after Hideyoshi's death in 1598 that further steps were taken. Hideyoshi was succeeded by Ayeyasu, although he did not take the title of shogun until 1603, who was for several years engaged in consolidating his power in Japan. Nevertheless, in the year 1598, when he came into actual authority, he intimated very strongly to a spanish friar that he would be glad to have the ships from the philippines stop in japan on their way to mexico and engage in trade with the japanese in fifteen ninety nine he sent an envoy to manila to press his request when the spanish governor of the philippines did not embrace the offer due as Ayasu thought to the depredations of japanese pirates the shogun seized and executed 200 of the buccaneers and then sent a second envoy to manila this man arrived in 1602 bearing the shogun's message nothing would satisfy my desires wrote idiasu so much as to see merchant vessels establishing frequent communication between my country and new spain or mexico He referred also to the advantages Spanish vessels would have in being able to take shelter in Japanese ports, and to his wish to see Japanese vessels making voyages between the Quanto and New Spain. In the same year, a Franciscan friar came from Japan to urge acquiescence in Aieyasu's proposals, on the ground that it would make the Japanese government more willing than they had recently shown themselves to be to accept Christian teaching in Japan this factor coupled with several others induced the governor to petition the royal authorities in spain for permission to establish the trade several voyages between the philippines and japan were made in the next few years but nothing was done about opening trade relations between japan and new spain though ayayasu continued to desire it will adams was sent to manila in 1608 and made arrangements whereby the annual ship from manila should touch at a japanese port but it was not to take japanese goods to new spain in 1609 however governor vivero who was proceeding to mexico after having completed his term of office in the philippines was wrecked off the coast of japan and obliged to remain in that country until the following year he was well treated by ayasu who again spoke of his desire for the trade with new spain when the Franciscans joined their voices to that of Ayasu, for they were alarmed lest the favor that was being shown to the Protestant Dutch might operate to check Catholic missionary endeavor, Vivero was convinced, so in sixteen ten, when he set sail from Japan, he was accompanied by twenty-three Japanese merchants and an envoy from Ayasu to the King of Spain when vivero reached mexico he found that an expedition was just about to sail toward japan in search of two mysterious islands said to be rich in gold and silver wherefore they came to be known by the names rica de oro and rica de plata footnote number one it is usually stated that they had been first visited by a portuguese navigator but a remark in Gemelli Carreri's account of his travels around the world identifies them with the Solomon Islands. These islands were discovered in 1567 by Alvaro Mendana de Neira, who headed another expedition in 1595 with a view to taking possession of this group. This time the islands were not found, and for two centuries they remained one of the mysteries of the Pacific, what more natural than that they should have traveled like so many other things the Spaniards expected to find farther north. Gamilli calls the commander Alvaro de Mendoza and gives 1596 as the date, but actually goes on to describe the voyage of Mendana in 1595. In footnote 1. These islands were sought more as a way station at which the ships from the Philippines might stop than for the wealth they might contain the spanish authorities believed this course would be safer than to utilize a japanese port the commander of the expedition of sixteen eleven in search of rico de oro and rica de plata was a man who has become widely known in the annals of california for it was none other than sebastian Vizcaíno who had made a famous voyage to monterey in the years sixteen o two to sixteen o three footnote two The relation of Vizcaino to the Californias is discussed in Chapter 11. In footnote. It was now decided that Vizcaino should first visit Japan in order to thank Aiyasu for the kindness he had shown Vivero and to take back the Japanese merchants. He was also to seek permission to make a survey of Japanese ports on the ground that the Spaniards wished to know the best ports in which to take shelter in case of a storm. However good a navigator Vizcaino may have been, the event proved that he was hardly qualified for an ambassadorial task. He embittered the Japanese merchants on board his ship by threatening to hang some of them unless they refrained from quarreling with his sailors. The message that these merchants gave to Aayasu about their mission to Mexico was also not calculated to please that ruler. They reported that the Spaniards had thanked them, but had gone on to say, our countries are far apart and navigation is difficult pray do not come again nevertheless vizcaino was received at the courts of both the shogun and the emperor but gave offence by refusing to conform to japanese court etiquette and by making it plain that he considered his king or even the viceroy of new spain whom he in fact represented as superior to the highest authorities in japan he was given permission, however, to make a survey of the Japanese ports, which he accordingly did. Soon afterward, in 1612, he left Japan in order to search for Rica de Oro and Rica de Plata. Arrived at the place where they were indicated on the map, he searched three weeks without finding them, which is not to be wondered at since they were not there. Forced back by storms, Vizcaino returned to Japan but this time did not get the cordial reception which had previously been granted him many things conduced to this end vizcaino had concealed the primary object of his voyage which was the discovery of the two rich islands this became known to the japanese authorities through will adams and the dutch who also informed them that it was unwise to have allowed the spaniards to survey the japanese ports as undoubtedly this was done by them with ulterior motives in view it was the spanish way they said to send missionaries to stir up rebellion and then troops to effect a conquest ayayasu was displeased but seems not to have been alarmed vizcaino too had been guilty of inconsistencies in discussing the objects of his mission on one occasion he maligned the dutch and said that the principal business about which he had come to japan was to find out whether the Japanese intended to be friends with the Dutch, for if that people were allowed to enter Japan, the king of Spain would not consent to have his own subjects trade there. It was well known, too, that he represented only the viceroy of New Spain instead of the king, as he had made pretense of doing. Nevertheless, Aeyasu continued to request the Spaniards to consent to the trade with Mexico, though the petitions were presented by other hands than Vizcainos. THE LATTER, MEANWHILE, HAD PROCURED ANOTHER SHIP, SINCE HIS OWN HAD BECOME UNSEAWORTHY, AND DEPARTED ON THIS IN 1613. HE RECORDS THAT HE WAS VIRTUALLY NO MORE THAN A PASSENGER ON THIS VESSEL, WHICH BELONGED TO A POWERFUL JAPANESE LORD, AND HE SEEMS TO HAVE LEFT IT AT THE FIRST PORT IN NEW SPAIN, THOUGH THE SHIP WENT ON TO Acapulco, ARRIVING THERE EARLY IN 1614 the spanish government had for a time been disposed to permit the trade between japan and mexico and in sixteen twelve the council of the indies formally gave advice to that effect to the king immediately there was a chorus of objections the portuguese of Macau feared that it would ruin their trade the jesuits felt that it might result in giving over japan to the franciscans from manila and the manila merchants who were profiting by the trade between the philippines and japan were inclined to believe that they would be injured by the competition of mexico these elements were able to carry the day the japanese trade with manila was saved but that with mexico never got fairly under way more might have been accomplished but for the death of Ayasu in sixteen sixteen his successors found reason to distrust the spaniards with the result that in sixteen twenty four all communications with them were discontinued The prime cause for this cessation of commercial relations was the same as that which a few years later caused Japan to close her doors to Europeans and shut herself in. This was the aversion of the Japanese government to Christianity. The early successes of the Portuguese Jesuits in Japan have already been alluded to. Much of their good fortune was due to the support of the warrior Nobunaga, 1573-1582 who made use of christianity to overthrow the then much more powerful and more feared buddhist priesthood hideyoshi 1582 to 1598, seemed at first to favor the new religion but in 1587 he executed a sudden about-face and ordered the expulsion of the jesuits from japan alleging that they had preached things contrary to the law and had even had the audacity to destroy temples devoted to other religions. Back of this, there seems to have been a suspicion that the Jesuits aimed at an ultimate foreign conquest. It was noticed that they were very successful in their attempts to convert certain of the powerful nobles, and some thought that this was done with a view to promoting civil war, into which a foreign government could wedge itself for the sake of achieving its own ends. The Jesuits succeeded in evading this decree, and nothing serious occurred for another ten years. Meanwhile, several Spanish Franciscans from the Philippines came to Japan in 1593 as an embassy to the shogun, but really with the intention of preaching their religion, despite the fact that a papal bull of 1585 had granted the Japanese field to the Jesuits. The Franciscans established themselves in Kyoto, and very soon there were evidences of a dissension between them and the jesuits affairs came to a head in fifteen ninety six a richly laden manila galleon the san felipe under captain landecho was lured into a japanese port in that year by a japanese noble forced upon the beach and was then claimed by the wily japanese on the ground that all stranded vessels and their cargos were the property of the authorities on whose shores they had been driven. Landecho endeavored to recover his ship and its precious freight, but was unable to do so, since Hideyoshi himself was sharing in the loot. Unable to accomplish anything by soft words, Landecho at length tried threats, dwelling upon the power of the mighty Spanish king, in proof of which he produced a map of the world to show his vast domains asked how it was that so many countries had come to acknowledge the sway of one man landecha replied our kings begin by sending missionaries into the countries they wish to conquer these induce the people to embrace our religion and when they have made considerable progress troops are sent to combine with the new christians then our kings have not much trouble in accomplishing the rest This speech made a very different impression from the one the imprudent captain expected. Hideyoshi decided that the time had come to strike at this faith, which at the least seemed likely to produce civil war from which Japan was just on the point of emerging after two centuries of conflict. The result was the first edict of persecution in 1597 directed against the Spanish Franciscans and their Japanese converts. Twenty-six of them were mutilated and crucified. The Jesuits had not been excluded from the terms of the decree, but were protected by their powerful friends, although the order of 1587 was renewed for their expulsion from the country. The death of Hideyoshi in 1598 halted the persecutions. As already mentioned, Ayayasu was eager for Spanish trade, and was therefore ready to tolerate Christian teaching, though without approval. Thus the Jesuits and Franciscans renewed their labors, the latter having in 1600 secured a veto of the exclusive Jesuit right to the field. Later Augustinian and Dominican fathers also came. Many incidents occurred which tended to revive the former Japanese suspicions. Vizcaino, for example, was unwise enough to remark that his master, the king of Spain, had no desire for trade with Japan, what he really wanted was the extension of the Catholic faith. Aayasu's views were just the opposite. He wrote to the viceroy of New Spain in 1612, urging an interchange of merchandise, but of Christianity he said, I am persuaded it would not suit us, adding that it would be best to put an end to the preaching of your doctrine on our soil. The persistent quarrels of the Franciscans and the Jesuits the unfortunate manner in which Vizcaino conducted his mission, and the interpretation placed upon his acts by Will Adams the Dutch, the reports Ayayuso got about Christianity from emissaries sent to Europe, and the discovery of treason in the ranks of Christian-Japanese nobles in his own personal following, at length caused Ayayasu to uproot the foreign religion. There were persecutions and deportations in 1612, 1613, and especially in 1614, though none of the missionaries were put to death. Yet the missionaries evaded deportations, or else made their way back after they had been sent out of the country. Hiditada, 1616-1632, through 1632, the successor of Aeyasu, carried the persecutions to greater extremes, and the missionaries now began to be tortured and executed, as also were Japanese converts, while the Spanish trade was sacrificed as a necessary measure to ensure riddance of Christianity. The death of Hititada bought no pause in the persecutions, for his son and successor Ayemitsu, was of the same mind. It is said that from the time of the first persecutions, down to 1635, no fewer than 280,000 Japanese were punished for accepting Christianity. In 1636 the japanese went a step further and took the fatal action which ended their opportunity for expansion in the pacific by the edict of 1636 japanese christians were ordered to apostatize and japanese subjects were forbidden to visit christian lands to make this latter provision effective it was ordered that henceforth no large ships were to be built in japan thus rendering it difficult for the japanese to leave the country furthermore the death penalty was imposed upon any japanese subject who should do so in case he ever returned no excuse was taken and it is said that even those who had been driven from the islands by storm were executed the portuguese and dutch were allowed under great restrictions to continue their trade but otherwise a policy of non-intercourse with the outside world was to be followed this measure produced the great christian revolt of Shimabara of sixteen thirty seven to sixteen thirty eight but the government put it down and massacred the survivors as the portuguese were suspected of complicity in the revolt they were forbidden to set foot in japan again when the portuguese of Macau sent an embassy in sixteen forty to ask for a renewal of their trading privileges, the Japanese governor burned their ship, put the four ambassadors and 57 of their attendants to death, and gave the following message to the few who were permitted to live and return to Macau. Inform the inhabitants of Macau that the Japanese wished to receive from them neither gold nor silver nor any kinds of presents or merchandise. In a word, absolutely nothing that comes from them you are witnesses that i have caused even the clothing of those who were executed yesterday to be burned let them do the same with respect to us if they find occasion to do so we consent to it without difficulty let them think of us no more just as if we were no longer in the world while the sun warms the earth let no christian be so bold as to come to japan and let them all know that if King Philip of Spain himself, or the very god of the Christians, or even the great Buddha shall contravene this prohibition, he will pay for it with his head. Thus did the wide-awake Japan of Hideyoshi and Ayasu pass into a profound sleep under their successors, a sleep which endured until Commodore Perry entered the Bay of Tokyo in 1853 and induced the Japanese much against their will, to reopen the country. Thus did Christianity, in a left-handed manner, render a service to those white races which now hold lands around the Pacific. Because of their disapproval of Christianity, the Japanese deprived themselves of an opportunity to be the dominant power in the Pacific, perhaps also in its train a world power beyond anything that a Japanese of the present day would even dream about. Possibly they would not have availed themselves of their chance, but who can deny that they most certainly had it? And one of the readiest lands to hand was the old Californias reaching from Cape San Lucas to Alaska, unoccupied in most of its extent until the close of the 18th century, inviting in its potentialities and lying along the island-studded route of the Japanese current. Footnote 3. The following works were used in the preparation of this chapter. 1. Ken and George, How Japan Lost Her Chance in the Pacific, in the Outlook for June 27, 1914. 2. Murakami Neogiro, Japan's Early Attempts to Establish Commercial Relations with Mexico in the Pacific Ocean in History, New York, 1917. 3 murdoch james with collaboration of iso yamagata a history of japan during the century of early foreign intercourse fifteen forty two to sixteen fifty one Kobe, japan nineteen o three four natal zelia the earliest historical relations between mexico and japan in university of california publications in american archaeology and ethnology berkeley 1904. End of footnote 3. End of chapter 4.